1: Well, I'm very, very excited today because we have finally on the show, Mr. Coach Hawn. I always feel like you guys know exactly who I'm talking about because he's just kind of in the group, but for some of you, you might not know. You just listen. You're not in the Facebook group. You're not on Twitter or whatever, and you're kind of wondering who Coach Hawn is, so I brought him on to introduce himself. Welcome to the show, Mr. Brian Hahn.
0: Hey, hey thanks, right, man. I got to tell you, I feel like I've finally been called up to the big leagues here. I'm on the podcast now. The Packernet podcast. I was able to get a little bit of time with JJ um, while you were finishing stuff up with the house, but now it feels like the big leagues, man.
1: <laughs> well, and, and I know you've, you've done it already, but just, just in case there's any new people around here, could you give us a little background as far as uh, kind of what it is you're doing and how you got into it and whatnot?
0: Absolutely. Um, so I'm a high school football coach. Uh, currently, I am the head coach of our JV program here in McFarland, Wisconsin. Um, so that's, it's, it's super exciting. It's, it's just, it's thrilling to be able to work with kids every day, um, especially in the great game of football. So I've coached, um, many positions thus far, just trying to increase and build up that resume for, for future opportunities. Um, but I am an O-lineman, um, at heart, um, unfortunately not physically, I'm a very small man, but I'm an O-lineman at heart. And that's where I dedicate most of my time is learning about the offensive line um, but I've coached many other positions and, and trying to get just a better overall knowledge of the game.
1: And so I, I got to be honest, I was uh, stunned how much a high school co- uh, high school coach knows. I, I wouldn't have thought, <laughs> you know, I just I, I don't know. I guess I was just not informed. But, you know, anytime we have questions and we go to Coach Hawn, it's um, it's incredibly insightful. But, man, there is so much that goes way over my head. Um, he is unbelievably Knowledgeable. He lives and breathes this stuff. Um, he sent me a book, which, as I mentioned yesterday, I still have not gotten back to him. <laughs> I apologize for that. Little, little, little insight about that, by the way, just so we're all clear. Um, and coach, you don't know this either, but I had asked you for your address to send your book back. I actually didn't intend to send the book back. I was going to send you a gift because I'm a nice person. Aww. I didn't send you a gift or your book. So I look like a complete jerk <laughs> and I <laughs> lost his address and I was too embarrassed to ask him again. So now I'm just in a real bad spot and we moved and I don't even know where his book is. So eventually I am going to get you a book. I'm going to get you in a gift on top of that because I owe you an apology for being such a terrible friend. But anyways, um, no worries, anyways, he, uh, uh, you know, just again the the insights and his understanding—it's way over my head um, to the point where I I sometimes wonder if I should even ask him because I'm just going to feel inadequate again. But um, I'm I'm glad to have him on because we're going to get some insights today. So you you had an awesome experience recently, and I don't want to go into exactly what it is because every time I try, I fumble through it because I'm not sure exactly what it is. But can you tell us what exactly it is you went to recently, and what and uh, well, maybe not what you learned yet, but what what was that?
0: Yeah. So, um, recently I got an opportunity to work with Aaron Jones. Um, he's an unbelievable young man. Does a ton of work for kids, um, specifically more that, that elementary and middle school level uh, of kids. So he puts on a, a couple of camps, um, in the summertime for kids, one down in Texas, uh, with his brother, you know kind of in memory of, of, of dad and the passing and everything that he went through there and then um, more recently the one I attended was up in Green Bay um, a youth camp for kids that he puts on and teaches them the fundamentals of football and all that sort of stuff so I I tend to do a lot of these camps over the summer with with professional athletes specifically to uh, towards football um, but this one was this one was a little different this one was pretty special it wasn't so corporate I guess feeling or or, or um, kind of dry and distant as far as the athlete went. Um, Aaron Jones was just all about it, man. He's in there dancing with the kids. He's, yeah. he's in drills with the kids. Um, he's playing seven on seven. You know, he's playing safety. He's a, he's a competitive dude and the kids loved it because he didn't, I mean, he didn't let them get away with anything. You know, if, if you bent a hit to the outside as opposed to the inside, they'll, <laughs> they'll jump that route and go score on you, you know? So, I mean, he's great like that. He was fantastic with the kids. You know really taught him to compete. Um, so I got a chance to do that with him on top of you know having some time with Justin Outen, who is the uh the Packers tight end coach, um, and just really picking his brain more about some of the schematic stuff. So I've been working with um with a couple of Packers this offseason and it's just been tremendous. I gotta say, it's been unbelievable.
1: So that's that's kind of the crux of uh a lot of what I wanted to talk about, at least in, in our first segment you spent, I believe this is your, is that your second time with Outen?
0: Yeah, uh, I got to meet him first in a little chalk talk session in June um, at, a, at a coach's clinic, a, a little kind of a private session, or not so much private, but um, just kind of a small group setting, I guess, uh, with Outen, and then um, had the ability to kind of reconnect and just kind of clarify some questions that I had from that first meeting.
1: So that, that is uh, largely what I wanted to talk about is some of the things that you've learned um, because, you know, I mean, as fans, there's certain things we know, but there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that we don't really know is going on. You gave us a couple teasers on Twitter that got me real excited, but I'd like to kind of just open the floor and kind of let you give us a little bit of insight into some of the things that the Packers are trying to do um, schematically and what they're trying to do with certain guys that we have and, like, what are their roles and kind of all that stuff. Help us help us to understand this a little bit.
0: Oh, oh, yeah, I'd love to. The first thing that always sticks out when you meet – you know some of these high level guys, be it high level college guys or, or obviously pro guys, is just how fluent they are. We always talk about football being a language, right? So you, you have to learn to speak the language if you want to get to that next level and next level, whatever. Um So, so, so guys like you and I, it feels like if we're learning another, say we're learning Greek, You and I feel like we've spent like an hour and a half on Babel, and we think we know a little bit. And it would be like dropping us in the middle of of Athens and telling us to go into a shop and ask how much this toothbrush is. We'd be completely lost. And and these guys are just so fluent in the language of football. Their understanding of the game is just so deep and so immense that they speak it effortlessly. You know, a lot of times the stuff you see in media. Or, or that sort of stuff. uh, Press conferences, whatever, are they're they're super, super watered down um, for guys like you and I, so that we can kind of comprehend a little bit of it. And then you get into a kind of closed door meeting with these guys, and it's it's unbelievable, it's phenomenal how much they know and how how fluently they speak the game. So that's kind of the thing that always sticks out to me. And one of the things I keep coming back to is, you know, (laughs) the more I learn about this game, the more I know that. I don't know anything about this game. It's exactly. just so, so tremendous the way that these guys um, think and speak. Um, so so that's the thing that always blows me away um, at, at kind of that base level. And then in, in talking with Outen, um, a couple of things that I picked up, just how easily Green Bay is able to manipulate things at the line of scrimmage offensively, obviously, I'm, I'm only speaking offensively but just how easy it is for them to manipulate things as long as you put a little thought in it. And it always blows my mind how simple it is, you know, like, Oh yeah, duh. Uh, It's like a revelation on top of a revelation, but they're so simple and and they do it with such ease and they do it so effortlessly that you don't even notice it at most plays Um, a a quick motion or an alignment or a formation and just how you get advantages of that. So that's, that's, (laughs) Always blowing my mind. I, I love that stuff. I nerd out about that stuff um, and and just how easily they do it and how much thought they put into it in the offseason so that it's just seamless come season time.
1: So you mentioned some of the things that they do as far as manipulate, because you talked a lot. I remember last year when you did a lot of uh, work for us and making videos and all that kind of stuff, how the defense can dictate to the offensive line and certain things that they can do. What are some of the things that the offense is doing to kind of not only counteract that, but so to speak, take the offensive and say, no, we're going to take it to you. We're going to manipulate you so that, you know, we're going to kind of keep you off guard. What do the Packers do to do that kind of stuff?
0: Yeah, they always start with formation. That's a great question, by the way, but they always start with formation. You know, so they have what's called the pre and the post formation. Um, And on their practice plans, they list that out. You know, our pre formation is going to be, let's just say, Trey right. So you have two receivers to the right. You have a tight end who's off the line and, and kind of a wing formation, if you will, just off of the tackle. And then one, a single receiver over to the left. So they will start with the pre-formation and then they'll call the play. And within that, they'll try to attach a motion. And then, so let's say you're going to shift from Trey right, The tight end is going to go across the line and take a similar stance on the other tackle. Now you go from Trey right to Deuce right or, or whatever that might be um so they always have that and the re a lot of reasons that they do that but one of the reasons they do that is to like you said to to kind of take it to the defense there's certain things defensively that you just can't do against a balanced set so in a tray formation you might have a safety over the middle of the field and you know you can bring pressure now with that outside linebacker on that single receiver side you can automatically fire him if you want you can just bring pressure right off the edge. Now, when you shift to a douche formation, you can't just automatically have that check because you need somebody to pick up the tight end. Should it be a throw or you're going to be down one in the pass game or whatever that is. So they have a whole lot of that stuff kind of inherently built in. And the intelligence of these guys, the, the coaches, anyways, the intelligence of it just kind of, it's just assumed as to why you're doing it a lot of the times. So we're sitting down, and Elton's like flying through some of these things, and of course, I I got to be the idiot that that says, "Oh, hold up now! Like, why are you why are you motioning from that set to this set?" And Elton is he's an incredibly patient guy and a very yeah. charismatic guy. Um, so he he would look at me, and and his eyes would be like come on, man, try to keep up, you know, <laughs> like, okay, well, I'll, I'll explain this here. And, and so he's like, so the outside backer can't fire because now we're down one in pass protection if we don't do that. So there's some stuff that they do formationally and with motion um, that can dictate to the defense. But the coolest thing that I pick up, I, I think anyways, cause I'm a run game nerd. Um, the coolest way they do it is with what they call short motion to where they'll start bringing that, that H back in, in this sense is what they call the tight end when he's a wing They'll start bringing that H back across and snap the ball, and now you have an added blocker right behind a guard that can now act as a fullback, ISO up on an inside linebacker for the run game or, or, or kick out the defensive end in zone or whatever they have him doing on this specific play. And then they can go through and have a numbers um, advantage because the defense always has to react to motion, right? As a defense, you can never anticipate motion, you have to react to it. And the cool thing about that is it's going to put the defense a step behind, Uh, whether you're shifting backers or safety or whoever your hybrid players are that are going to react to motion, you're a step behind. So as you snap that football, now you have a much better angle on whichever um, defender you're, you're going to block with that tight end. You've got a much better angle on him. You got him a little bit later out of his stance because now he's got to adjust. Now he's got to react to motion, um, and you can really take it to him in the run game. And the same thing in the past game, as we saw against the Rams last year and that divisional game. Um, when, when you see Devontae Adams come across and fly motion and score a touchdown and Ramsey's got to be in a trail position because of the motion. There's a lot of things with motion that offenses do that just go and hammer quickly at a defense. And that's without all, you know, that has nothing to do with the tells and the coverage leaks and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So it's, it's, it's just phenomenal, man.
1: So I think from from my very low end understanding, and I think a lot of fans, um, our understanding a lot of times of motion is very basically we're trying to figure out what you're doing, right? If you follow me, it's man. If you stay, it's zone. Very basic understanding type stuff. But it kind of sounds like there's also an element of we know what you're doing and we're going to move him
0: because that's going to mess you up. So, Bingo, baby. Yep. So yeah. if you can move a defense with motion yeah. to an advantage spot, you're going to use motion all game long.
1: So is this largely at the? Um, I guess you would say the quarterback needs to know what's going on and know exactly what to do, who to move, where to move, when to move, in order to know how to attack this specific. Day. So there's just a ton. It's all kind of at the quarterback, though, right?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, the quarterback definitely needs to know that, um, without a doubt. But one of the things you you never really think of is when. And we'll get into practice time, I'm sure, a little bit later. But the offensive line needs to know the running back needs to know and the, the motion guy be it the tight end or the receiver or whatever also needs to know because let's just say theoretically we're running motion against a, a 4-2 box and we're bringing that H back across and no backers follow you know yeah. that's a good indicator that hey you've got a blitz on or you've got a twist and stunt game going on with the defensive line. Nobody follows nobody really adjusts that's going to change at times your blocking angles um, in a zone scheme, that's going to change the count or who the offensive line is working to. If if they're anticipating a backer moving, and they don't, well, now within a, a split second, the offensive line all has to be thinking the same way. Like that backer was supposed to move. We thought he was going to move. He didn't. Now he's in my count. Now I have to double up to him. Um, the running back has to know that. You know, if, if if they're supposed to double up to a Mike backer, let's say. And he moves and now they're doubling up to the Sam. Well, now that changes your read and your path and you're caught on zone. So it's unbelievable what they have to know. The cool thing about it is these athletes are typically coming out of college. So conditioned to that, that it becomes second okay. nature. I mean, it's just at a high level, you have devoted your life to it for, right. you know, eight, 10 years. Um, theoretically you should know what's going on.
1: So it's, it's basically like, you know, when we call a play, it's not just a play. I mean, there's layers to it. When I call a play, that's just the start of it. Then we have to analyze what we're looking at. And it's not just the quarterback saying I need to figure it out. Everybody needs to know what their job is. If you're the wide receiver and we line up this way and they're doing this, I know that I need to be over there. Right. This is where I need to motion or I, you know, so that, that makes a lot of sense. And holy cow, does that that's overwhelming. You understand why when, when new guys come into the NFL, they say they're overwhelmed. That's that's insane. The level of, of stuff oh, they to sure. figure
0: out. For sure, man. The days of static play calling, those died in the early 80s. You yeah. Know, when Jones and some of these guys came in. Um, th- there's no such thing as a static play call anymore. And, and yeah. you got to think it's been going that way for 35, 40 years. So the evolution of it has just been mind blowing.
1: And it, it, it also adds to the, the understanding of why, you know, when you just look at, let's say, college prospects, and you look at guys that are really fast, and you say that guy's going to be good, how silly that is, because there's you know, you look at the intelligence aspect of it and all the little nuance that you have to be able to do. And I need to be able to see you doing that. And I need to be able to see you reading and reacting in college and understanding your assignments. And, you know, there's so many things like uh, Josh Myers, for example, the center that we drafted out of Ohio state, you know, PFF didn't necessarily give him the highest grade. And you say, well, there's some guys that graded higher. Why would you go with him? But when the Packers are analyzing guys like Myers, there's so much in-depth stuff, especially at a high level, high program like that, the things that we need that guy to be able to do, it's not just a simple matter of you know when some guy pushes into you, how good of a job do you do pushing back? There's so much more to it than that. So, um, all right, dead so on.
0: you're <laughs> dead on, man. I, when it comes to Josh Myers, I got to yeah. be honest. I think that I honestly think that the Penn State game uh, that that they that Myers had um, with Ohio State is what got him drafted so high. Uh, Penn State threw everything twists and motions and late stems. And I mean, it's such a fun game to watch. And defensively, Penn state did a great job. The scheme was phenomenal. Um, But he just, he just adjusted every single time adjusted, got that offensive line to go exactly where they needed to go. and, And we know how that game turned out. So that's, if that isn't what got him drafted so high, it definitely was the icing on the cake.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I, I, I wanted to get into to draft prospects in a little bit. I'm just looking at it now. Um, that was his highest pass blocking grade in that game um, or of, of that year. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. If you want to check that out week nine at Penn state, go, go Phenomenal check it out. Game. Phenomenal nice, game. Nice little uh, insight there. All right. So before we completely move off it, man, the, the, the hard part about this is there's so much. <laughs> it's like I don't even know where to go right now. All right. So let's, so we're talking about motion and these kinds of things. So it, the, the the one interesting thing is that there seems to be certain guys we're looking for that do the motioning. And it kind of seems like, especially with wide receiver, we're always looking for that guy. Um, for example, we kind of assume right now Amari Rogers is going to largely be that guy. And then with tight ends, it's kind of the same thing. So let's, let's start with wide receiver. Cause I want to spend a lot of time on tight end. Cause that's what you've been talking to them with. What, what are the kinds of things you're looking for? in a motion wide receiver. Cause I think the Packers have used guys that you wouldn't expect guys that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I just want a guy that's real fast, but they don't usually use the really fast guys. You know, they've got guys like Equanimeous who aren't, you know, or, or whatever. So what are you looking for? If you want a guy that's going to be your motion guy?
0: Yeah. I think that really boils down to what do you want the motion to do? Yeah. Um, when I, when I first started kind of, so quick caveat here. And I think most of your listeners know this. Um, I grew up as a Viking fan um, so I, I, I blame my dad for cursing me for a love with that <laughs> terrible franchise, but so I grew up a, a Viking fan, so I didn't really watch the Packers in depth much until I really started becoming serious about being a football coach and expanding my knowledge and that's where people just kind of naturally gravitate to some of these programs like every football coach in, in America loves Oklahoma Um, They love Clemson. They love Ohio State. They love Alabama. They love the Green Bay Packers. They love the New England Patriots because those are teams that just do things schematically so well. So when I first start watching Green Bay, that was back in the Randall Cobb days. And Randall Cobb is fast. I mean, dude's an athlete, right? But that's not what what did it for Green Bay. Mm -hmm. They're putting him in short motions or orbit motions um, to just give him that one-step advantage. What you're looking for in that type of receiver as far as motion goes is, A, can he be rock solid? Because the the one caveat with motion is if you screw it up somehow, if you don't go quite to where you need to go pre or post snap, the motion is not only useless, it actually hurts the offense because now the defense can be one up in the box or the defense can be one up in the throw game or, or wherever you're looking for the motion to do so. You, you have to be just dead on reliable with it. And I know um, fans go kind of back and forth on EQ, as you had mentioned before, but that dude's motions are, are spot on. Yeah. I mean It's obvious he was always used in that role. He's always um, kind of had that, that motion and being that guy on every team he's been at uh, previous to Green Bay, but he is dead on. He's always in the exact right uh, spot. You've got to know the snap count and he's always there. I mean, he's rock solid with it. So with a guy like EQ, you're looking for him to be reliable in that motion, number one. And number two, you're looking for him to be able to sell and do whatever that job is. So if you're looking at, let's say, jet motion, a very basic motion where you shift from one side of the field to the other really fast and you're wanting to go ahead and at least give the threat of running a fly sweep or a jet sweep with that player. Um, he comes dead across the center exactly when he needs to, he'll throw his hands up a little bit, like he's getting the ball and he'll carry out that motion all the way through. So defensive eyes stay on him all the way through the play. Um, and that's something that EQ does well. Now, obviously, if you're talking about, you know, shifts or, or, or tight end motions, you're not always looking to go super fast with those guys. Um, But you're looking for them to be able to get onto an angle, especially in the run game, when you're coming out of motion, you're looking for them to be able to get on that angle, get on that path in the blocking scheme and be able to stay on that path. And for some of these bigger dudes, like I think about. When they shift Daphne around, you know, and, and they put him in sap motion where, or gorilla motion, some people call it, where he kind of hops or shuffles behind the line. Um, that's a big dude, and he, he's moving pretty fast for him anyways. And then to be able to put a foot in the ground, turn, get on an inside shoulder, a defensive end, and stick that through, um, that's, that's a big part of whether or not you can actually play in the game is can you go ahead and get your motions down?
1: Yeah, and, and you think about a guy like Alan Lazard obviously from a from from a speed perspective from the NFL perspective he's not the fastest guy in the world but maybe the best blocking wide receiver in football so you got a guy that maybe takes the ball maybe catches a pass but also you're now strong to that side and you've got an additional blocker over there so yeah you, you can see where you got all these they have so many different tools that's what I love about the Packers you know even if you want to say well they don't have an elite number two wide receiver whatever but if you look at them and their individual components and what they do like what what mvs does well what lazard does well it's so cool how toolsy they are and i i I appreciate that you know it's maybe they're not the most well-rounded guys but the things that they do well holy cow do they do those things really well and that gets me so excited um so real quick about amari rogers though What, what is it I I guess we'll kind of get into the draft class since we're we're getting into it. But what is it that you have seen from Amari Rogers, um, whether it's about the motion thing or not, that that you think are going to be his strengths in this offensive system?
0: Yeah, um, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not. I haven't dove in as deep as I should on most of these guys. That's fine, um, film wise. But Amari, the thing that sticks out to me, anyways, with Amari is just how intelligent he is. Yeah, you know this this learning curve and don't get me wrong. It is a jump for a lot of guys from college to pros, right. you know, unless you're coming from a Clemson or an Ohio state, um, something like that. There's a huge jump. There's a huge learning curve, but dude, Amari Rogers is rock solid on this stuff. I don't think his learning curve is going to be as steep as a lot of other receivers who come in. You know, you get a receiver, a, a nifty little, slot guy who goes in the sixth round from Boise state yeah. and you throw him in the mix with Tom Brady down in Tampa. I mean, good luck. Right. Yeah, like, Right. There's going to be a <laughs> lot going on there. Um, but Rogers is, he's, he's, he's super sharp. Um, he seems to be like very disciplined, um, in, in his sets and his motions. And that's not just motions. That's, you know, where his split is, uh, when he's out wide, it's, the attacking angle when he has to crack on a speed option or or something like that. Um, he's just very gifted that way. I'm very, very intrigued to see, you know, if, if we know, we know he's a physical freak and and he Mm can do things that in his sleep that we could never even dream of doing athletically, but I'm, I'm very excited to see if that level of, of discipline, um, and, and that level of acuteness that he had in college can actually transfer to a pro level. Um, where all the dudes across from him were the best player on their college team. Right. You know what I mean? Um, So that'll be, it'll be a really interesting one to see.
1: All right. So before we take a break, I want to get to tight ends now. And I want to kind of do like we did before. I just kind of want to open up the floor. Tell us as much as you can that you learned from Outen about the tight ends, uh, what the roles are for them and what kind of things the Packers like to do with their tight ends.
0: Man, this might have to be a 2 <laughs> yeah. podcast, man. All right, these bullet points are, then. <laughs> these guys are just so intelligent. Yeah. Um, the, a couple of things that stuck out is they always want physical over athletic, okay. always. Um, one of the lines that, always, uh, that will stick with me forever from Outen is, look, we can draft a bad sixth-round receiver who is more athletically gifted than any of our tight ends. Like, that's easy to do. going to be another tackle for me. And obviously they have three different types of tight ends. So, you know, they're, they're kind of looking for different guys to do different things. But at the end of the day, you know, they want, you know, a Jace to come in or a Josiah DeGuar to come in and do the things physically that Tanyan can do so that there's not a giant tell to the defense. You know, Tunyon's coming out or, or uh, Dominique Daphne's coming out and you're staying in 11 personnel, but now you got Jay Sternberger in there. The defense is like, well, you're yeah. probably going to throw the ball. You're not going to put your elite D end against, exactly. against Josiah Aguara. So um, that, that's one of the things is, is how they use them differently in three different positions, but they're expecting everybody to be able to do the job at a par level, at least. So that's number one. Um, number two is just how dedicated Justin Outen is to the run game. He's a former center. Um, he might as well be another O-line coach and you guys are already just blessed beyond measure with the two O-line coaches that you have in Butkiss and Stenovich, but yeah. this dude is O-line, O-line, O-line. It's just, he's like every once in a while I get my fat dudes to go out and catch a ball and, a <laughs> ball and like this. So, so that's, that's their thought process, man. And that's something that has really gone away in the NFL. Right. A whole lot of, of Jimmy Graham's, and don't get me wrong, you know, I'm not talking down on Jimmy Graham, but there's things he does really well, and blocking is not one of them. You know, right. so you, you get a lot of these big kind of box mile basketball players that, that go up for jump balls and stuff, but it's really rare to find a George Kittle or a, a Travis Kelsey or Kelser, however you say his name. Um, to come in and just be a dog for you. And that's the one thing that they're so excited about Tunyon is he can play all three of those positions with absolute ease. So um, that's uh, another thing that I picked up. And then number three is just how valuable tight ends are to Green Bay. You know, you can see kind of some of these phases come through the NFL or the college game where everybody's in spread or everyone's in 21 personnel, I formation or whatever that is. Um, And there's kind of fads that go through the game a little bit. uh, But the one that's not going to change in Green Bay is the tight end. You will very rarely see, you know, 10 or zero personnel out there. um, They're wanting to use two and three tight end sets more than they want to get to empty. And that's, uh, as as an O-line coach, that just just warms (laughs) me at the end of the day, you've got to be thinking, hey, how do I account for the tight end in the run game? Are we going to use the outside backer? Are we going to eat a mismatch and use a safety? How are we going to do it? So um, just kind of real quick, I guess, bullet points on the stuff that I picked up. The tight ends aren't going anywhere. They have to be three position players and they have to be physical.
1: And it's cool because, you know, a lot of these guys, like you said, are kind of discarded or, or not really uh, – you know, teams don't really care about these guys like the Deguara's and obviously the Mercedes Lewis's. Those guys, I mean, you can pick those guys up in the sixth round, and they're they're top of their craft at what they do. But most teams, it's like we're going in a different direction. The Packers, please give me all these guys you can possibly give me. You know, maybe a couple teams that are that are also fighting for these kinds of guys, whether it's the Shanahan system or maybe teams like Baltimore that obviously like to run the ball. Um, but the other thing that I picked up on is when you said that. You know, the, the versatility that the Packers like, is kind of cool because, like you said, it's not just about we want you to be able to do multiple things. We don't want you to be a tell. If you can only do one thing and I put you out there, we, they, they know what we're doing. And I, I kind of had that thought about A.J. Dillon last year. You know, he's a young guy that obviously runs the ball well, but he's not quite up to speed with pass blocking and receiving. So when he's on the field, we're running the ball. And that was pretty much the case. And they usually stacked the box when he went out on the field. So I, I kind of had a feeling that that was maybe part of the reason he didn't get as much op- as many opportunities. Um, one of the other things that you mentioned about tight end is the different styles of tight end that they use. You said that there's three different kinds. Could you kind of quickly break us down, uh, break that down? What, what are the types of tight ends that they like to have on hand?
0: Absolutely. Now uh, um, there's, there's two that are just black and white, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you see Uh, uh, Bobby Tunyon on the field, or you see Dominique Daphne on the field. Mm -hmm. uh, Those are two completely different players, right? Tunyon is essentially a really big, strong wide receiver that does a good job in the run game. Um, but he's a, he's your throw threat. You gotta account for him, right? Yeah. And then you go to the other yeah. side of the coin and you got Dominique Daphne, where you know that dude steps onto the field and the spotter up in the press box for the defense is saying, Hey, this is eleven Daphne, eleven Daphne, and that tells you get out of nickel. You know, if you're in dime, <laughs> yeah. get out of dime, because this dude is gonna blow up our nickel or our dime or our star defender so yeah. I mean it's just a mismatch there so they have those two kind of black and white big receiving type or more fullback type the really interesting one is the hybrid one right yeah. um and that's the one that they call their why I believe um and that's the one that's really intriguing and this is where some of those gaps I guess in the in the game can be kind of um filled is if you're looking for a Jace or a Deguara who you know hopefully is is coming back from injury all right to eventually here. Um these are the guys that they're really excited about. They know what they got in Sadies, they know exactly what they got in Tunyon, they know exactly what they got in Daphne. You know, where are Jace and, and um Josiah gonna fit into that? Um, because they're pretty physical dudes, they can be pretty physical dudes, they can also be receiving threats um so that's they're more hybrid type and that's the guy that they really like to move around sure um, they'll put them in zap motion with a return and and just have them running all sorts of crazy stuff um and if they can develop they can mentally handle it if they can pick it up and become masters of it that way um i don't think there's any questioning their physical ability so we'll just see how how that develops um I, i'm kind of honestly i'm kind of Polling for DeGuara, um, knowing that you know it, we just got the news. What was it yesterday or whatever that he's yeah. starting camp on the pup list, but hopefully, uh, hopefully we get to see the dude because man, in that Minnesota game, that like that's that's the game that that's <laughs> right. the game that Outen kept going back to was Week One Minnesota. I mean, we he had so many film clips of that game. Um, that's kind of his you know magnum opus, if you will, as a tight ends coach because um, the tight ends in that game were just just outstanding you know um and obviously they had a whole offseason to kind of plan for that game and stuff and it showed so he's the one that i'm kind of secretly kind of deep down pulling for right uh, not as as a packer fan because i'm not but kind of as a fan of this scheme and, and how things are going to work
1: yeah I, I i as everybody knows i've been a huge jaguara fan it's kind of funny because most of that draft class and i didn't do a lot of in-depth anything and my opinion doesn't matter anyways but you know i watch these guys and i kind of get a a a small feel for whether I like him or don't like him. And I I didn't care for DeGuar. I didn't really see much, but after we draft him, it's like, all right, I got to really watch this guy now. And as soon as I watched what they had him doing in college, it was like, dude, (laughs) it's like Matt LaFleur's running this offense. This is, this is so cool. Like the motions and all the stuff that they got him doing. He's that, he's that X factor. He's always that guy that even if he's not the most exciting player on the field, you have to account for what he's doing because You know, it's all that trickery. You know, he does this. It's again, it's exactly like what the Packers like to do. He does the same thing over and over and over. But it's a different play every time. Sometimes he's in motion and he's blocking. Sometimes he's in motion and he slips out for a pass. You know, so, I mean, it's just it's so exciting. And the cool thing, like you mentioned, that game, you know, starting off week one. They used him a lot. They used him more than Jace. So right off the bat, they wanted him bad to get out there. He's an, an important piece of this offense, and they they really think he's going to be a big piece. So kind of like you, that's the reason I want him back on the field because I think Matt LaFleur and, and those guys have a plan for him, and I think they're real excited to get that kind of a guy out there. Um, anyways, why don't we take a break here? Uh, we got a lot of questions, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you're a very busy man, so we'll take a break here. We'll rip through some questions, and uh, we'll call it a day. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. All right, folks. We're back with Coach Han. We got a couple questions. Thank you all for uh, for getting those in to us. Um, we'll kind of just go, you know, group by group here. We'll start off with Twitter. So um, we got one from uh, from Goose. <laughs> it's not a very serious question, so you just you just answer however you feel like answering. He says, "Teach me all the football."
0: <laughs> Goose Goose is the man. He's um, a good guy, dude. If if you want me to teach you all the football, Goose. Um, why don't you and I go attend a clinic together so that I can learn all the football? Cause man, I just, it just keeps blowing my mind. Um, when you come in as a young coach, you think, you know, everything. Um, and you find out very quickly how little, you know, um, and you know, even in, in a fan base, because I do this all the time, I, I, I don't mean to sound like arrogant or cocky here, but I think I have a little bit higher level than like an average fan. And then I go sit in some of these meetings and stuff and I am humbled right quick. Yep. So, um, goose, I would love to teach you all the football, but first I need to learn all the football.
1: <laughs> all right. We got a question here from a very prominent and famous Packers podcaster. You wouldn't know him. He's my friend, JJ Leahy. Um, <laughs> he says if out and only gets eight minutes with these tight ends per day, what are the tight ends and out and doing the rest of the day?
0: I, I love this question because this gives us a little bit of insight as to how the how the Packers uh, schedule their practice, how they format their practice. So when Alton says he gets eight minutes with his tight ends a day, what that means is he gets eight minutes of indie time. Indie means, excuse me, indie stands for individual drill, individual mm-hmm. time with his tight ends alone. So he gets eight minutes with them a day. So what a typical Packers practice looks like. Um, and don't tell them, but I totally probably stole a practice script. Um, <laughs> what it looks like is, you know, you'll start the day off with your with your team meeting, and then right from there, you'll go into your small group install meetings, where the, some tight ends might be with the O line, some might be with the receivers, whatever. Then you have a pre practice where a yeah, transition time. You throw the pads on, you grab some Gatorade and, and, and uh, a granola bar, and you head out to the field. You do your dynamic warm up. Um, and you're ready to go. And then they, they kick off offensive practice with Indy. So Alton gets those eight minutes right there where he goes through you know, the install. This is the formation. These are the plays that we're learning today. These are a couple of the adjustments. Let's work on our first steps. Let's work on taking our hitch from a three chatter two to now knowing that this team that we're playing is gonna be more of a cover four system. Let's bring that hitch a little bit deeper. So that's where they work on all that. Um, and they only have eight minutes, so it flies. Then from there, they transition into what's called small group work, where they're working with another position group. And this is where things get really cool, how the Packers structure it, because they're so efficient with time. I mean, Mm -hmm. so efficient with time. So the tight ends group, uh, when you start in small small group work, is they tend to go with the offensive line first, and you're going to spend the next 16 to 18 minutes there working on... The run game with the offensive line, working combos, working doubles, working seals, working back, all that sort of stuff. And then they're going to work on some of the max protect scheme for for pass protection. So who's got the mic in this set, how we're going to slide against this, you know, where we're going to split the man slide against this, where the bubble is, that sort of stuff. So while they're doing that with the offensive line, then the receivers are out there working on their 10 personnel stuff, right? So that's when they're out there working on 10 personnel or empty personnel. And they're, they're working all of that game. Then they switch, right? So then the offensive line learns, you know, this is how we're going to do run game when we're in 10 personnel. This is how we're going to pass protect in in uh, 10 personnel or empty personnel or these are our checks so they kind of break off and then the tight ends go with the wide receivers and this is how we're going to do 11 personnel throw game this is how we're going to settle in noose out of uh, 21 personnel all that sort of stuff so the bulk of the time is spent in small group type of settings uh, but from there they'll you know get a wash get a quick drink I mean and when I say get a wash like if anybody played high school football you're thinking back to your practices and when you got a water break it was like Five minutes, you know, seven minutes, you got to kind of no. these dudes run to the sidelines, splash a little bit of water into their face masks, maybe get some in their mouth. And then from there, they're sprinting off and they're doing half sets. So then they work maybe with the offensive line, like half an offensive line working true combos or inside run type of stuff. And then from the inside run game, they'll switch over and, and do some skelly or skeleton pass drills with their wide receivers against coverages, kind of implementing everything that they've learned um, and everything that they were working on from the previous practice session. Um, and then from there, that's when they'll go to all team where you're running against maybe some of the scout practice squad players, or, you know, if you're really lucky, you get to run against the twos and the ones on defense um, and all that sort of stuff. Now, here's the real trick of it for... Guys like Dominique Daphne and that sort of stuff. If you're not that top tier guy, if you're not that number one, when everybody else goes over to team time, that's when you break off for specials and you still got to learn everything you know about punt coverage and then you got to learn your your lanes at kickoff and all that sort of stuff so when you see a guy like Daphne get on the field to me it's such a rewarding experience for him because you know that he's been behind the eight ball a little bit in practice he didn't get a chance to run all those reps against the number ones because he's out there learning his kick step against an overload pressure on punt you know so yeah. the ability for some of these twos and threes to get on the field and, and, and make a difference be playmakers um, that's where you're, you're starting to really learn like you know, this is trial by fire and this kid's getting it. So that's really cool. The practice schedule is, is phenomenal. I'm stealing it. I'm going to see if I can implement <laughs> it at a JV level um, and see if I can get 14 year olds to do exactly what the Packers are doing.
1: I'll tell you what, you got some, uh, some very lucky football players over there at your high school that are going to be running a, a Green Bay Packers uh, style offense or, and schedule and all that. So they're, they're very lucky oh, yeah. to have you as a coach.
0: Yeah, um, we 100% stole it. I'm not going to lie. Everything <laughs> smart that I think I'm doing, I 100% stole from somebody else.
1: <laughs> All right. We got another answer however you want question from Mr. Jeremy Retz on Twitter. He says, when can we be happy again,
0: coach? <laughs> I love Jeremy too. Jeremy cracks me up. Yo, if you guys aren't following Jeremy on, on Twitter, yeah. follow him. He's a funny, funny dude. Um this is it's a great question and um I know it's kind of said in jest but you know it kind of makes you reflect a little bit coming out of a, a pandemic environment a, a shutdown environment um happiness is intrinsic man like that's one of the things that that you, the pandemic kind of taught me is you know I've previously I poured my entire identity into being a football coach which mm-hmm. is a very risky thing to do right because it can obviously be taken away in a heartbeat and it doesn't take a a pandemic to do that you know I could be fired um or or whatever that is so if I pour my whole identity into being a football coach or you guys pour your whole identity into being a Packer fan and all of a sudden Rogers doesn't come back and Tate doesn't come back and the team just sucks like that's a risky endeavor right so just find happiness somewhere I mean I've, I've just been putting all my stock into trying to be a really good dad and a really good husband. And eventually maybe I'll be a good football coach who knows. And that's not where my priority is. So happiness is intrinsic, man. Jeremy, I know, I know you're, uh, you're living a great life outside of Packer fandom. I would encourage you to keep that up. And if the Packers are great, well then, Hey, it's icing on the cake, man.
1: It's actually a fantastic answer, especially considering what's been going on. I kind of talked about it yesterday. People are getting, they're getting edgy these last couple of days. And, um, that is good advice. And I've, in, in not as eloquent of a way as you said it, I've kind of said similar things, but it, but it is important. You got to find, you know, it, it's not just, you know, there are a lot of people who say it's Super Bowl or bust, right? If you don't win a Super Bowl, you're a failure. And those people are always miserable. And I just, it's, you either got to get away from that or you got to stop watching football because no team wins every year and you're just going to be miserable. And even if they do win, it's one day out of 365 days that maybe comes once every 20 or 30 years. But even, But like you said, even beyond that, football is, I mean, there's, there's going to, you know, what's going to happen in a couple, in about a week, as much as we love football and as excited as we are, you know what the worst part about it is that's when injuries start. Mm-hmm. That's when you start getting news that somebody w- was carried off the field and you have to worry about, is he ever going to play, you know, is he going to play again this year? So, I mean, you got to be able to manage that stuff. You got to be able to, you know, if Rogers doesn't come back, if Devonte doesn't come back, you can't be lashing out. You can't, I mean, and it's one thing to lash out at me randomly, but I mean, you know, you got families that depend on you. You got kids that depend on you. If you can't right. handle this stuff emotionally, you gotta, you gotta find another outlet, like you said. So that for was, sure, uh,
0: man. I mean, I, I didn't, ex-
1: I didn't expect a good answer to that, but that was a phenomenal
0: answer. <laughs> <My apologies>. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Uh, moving over to Facebook now. He, uh, Travis Britt says, what are your thoughts on Mr. Jordan Love?
0: Uh, and yeah, I, I saw that on Facebook and, and thanks for the question, Travis, but Uh, guys, I got to admit, I am not a good enough football coach to know quarterbacks, like quarterbacks and quarterback coaches are a whole different breed. Um, so uh, (laughs) I get, I know it's a cop-out answer, um, but it's, it's the honest answer. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I don't think any of us really know right now, right? you got a quarterback room in green Bay who kind of has an idea, but even they don't know, you know, you look at all the quarterbacks you draft or or all the quarterbacks you get excited about and they they trot on the field and maybe it's not great. Then you get a couple of quarterbacks. Who you're like, eh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. And then you have the Tannehill effect, right? Where all of a right. sudden you're like, oh my goodness, like right. boy ball. So, I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know enough about it. I haven't seen enough of, about him. We all know that the college game doesn't necessarily transfer over to the pro game. We saw that with Hundley a little while ago. Like, man, I, I'd love to tell you it's going to be awesome, but I, I just don't know. One thing I will warn you on is do not judge Jordan Love by his physical physique, right? Yeah. There's that picture floating around all the social media networks of him next to Justin Fields, and it's like, oh, well, our quarterback looks dopey or, or whatever that is. Um, don't fall into that trap um, because, man, there, there's some things that he can do athletically there. It's yeah. like, whoa, you know. Um, I'm just excited to see how he develops. And sorry, Trav, I just <laughs> I can't help you out there, man. I'm not smart enough.
1: You brought up Ryan Tannehill. And, and again, I know you're not a quarterback guy, so maybe I'm going up the, the wrong path here, but I don't think some people realize how good he's been these last couple of years. I mean, it's, it's staggering. I know he doesn't have a, a great um, reputation based on his prior achievements, but wh- why do you think that is? I mean, is is it scheme? Did he just figure it out? Did it, it how does that happen? Cause I can't think of another example of a guy that's been so mediocre going to a new team, and being one of the best quarterbacks in football since he got to Tennessee.
0: Yeah, and this is where you kind of take uh, the thought process of of theory versus scheme, right? And Everybody's got a scheme, and schemes are easy to copy and develop and implement and stuff. Scheme is easy. Um, My guess is, and again, guys, this is just a, a theory that's coming out of left field. I have no insider knowledge on any of this, but my guess is it just has to do with the relationships there. Like okay. if, you, if you've got a great relationship with your quarterbacks coach, um, a very encouraging room or, or whatever that is, all of a sudden you're not afraid to make mistakes. I mean, anybody who's played at sports at any level knows that when you're playing loose and playing free and having fun, you're way better. If you're tight the whole time and you're worried about making that next mistake and what XYZ is going to say when you come off the field, um, that, that product is not as good. So my, my, guess is it has to do with a relationship level and what the staff and what the team is doing around Tannehill to, to kind of help him out and let him play loose. Cause you're right. Dude's been a freak. Yeah. I guess it doesn't, doesn't hurt to have Derek Henry, but I mean, <laughs> you know, he's been, he's, he's, he's been doing a nice job and I, I'm hoping anyways, that it has to do with relationship more than scheme.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure Julio isn't going to hurt either. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. We got a question from Mr. Billy Morris, Jr. He says, why is the fullback position not used very often these days? San Francisco still uses it very effectively, but we haven't even rostered one under Matt LaFleur, to my knowledge.
0: Yeah, this was this was the question that just got me smiling, man. That's such a great question. So we all know LaFleur came from that Shanahan tree, right? Yeah. Um, the, the, the kind of successful offensive tree that's moving through the NFL right now. Um, And San Fran does a great job with their fullbacks. You know, Juszczyk is uh, a pass threat. He's an unbelievable blocker. And you can pair him up with a very similar, just kind of taller version of himself in George Kittle. Um, So I kind of see the, um, I want to be careful here in how I phrase this so I don't (laughs) get myself in in trouble in in the future. But I kind of see the great value brand of that in Green Bay. Um, Tunyon's not Kittle, right? And, And we all know that Daphne's not Juszczyk. Right. But you kind of have that similar thought process of, you know, they don't technically have a fullback, but then when you sit and, and meet with Justin out Oh yeah, they got, they got a bunch of fullbacks. I mean, Dominique Daphne is your fullback. He might not always align in a traditional set. He, he will at times, um, align in that traditional 21 personnel by formation set or that 20 personnel split back or whatever it is. But Daphne right now, um, is your fullback and that's, My guess is that's what they're hoping to get a little bit out of uh, Jason Josiah as well. So he's, he's kind of that fullback set and the way they have him isoing on power and gap stuff um, similarly used. Now he doesn't wear a number in the forties or anything like that, but uh, he's thought of as that fullback. So if you can have, I mean, you're not going to get a Kittle and a use check, right. Um, But you will get a very similar type of look. And if these guys can continue to develop, like, you might have something pretty close to that
1: kind of a cool question here from Mr. Mike Evans. I don't believe he's a football player, but, um, different Mike Evans. He says, yeah. I coach youth football, fifth and sixth grade. What are some good drills that'll help with keeping contain as an end or outside linebacker?
0: Yeah, this is, and Mike, uh, bless your heart, man. Um, I got started coaching my son in sixth grade football. That's kind of how this whole addiction started. Um, So, and I know, I know what you're dealing with, man. You are hurting cats and you got some kids (laughs) who are just absolute monsters that just want to run through walls of humanity. But the most, the bulk of your team is like, oh goodness, here comes a pulling guard. I'm just going to turn and run to the sidelines because that looks like it hurts. So one of the things that um, I kind of implemented is taking some agile bags or some pads and uh, go ahead and simulate, you know, a, a pulling guard or go ahead and simulate a base block for those guys on the outside. And then I teach them to keep their shoulders square. And then we do a drill called under the train. And that's something that we still have to do at a high school level is, is learning to set the edge and force it all back inside. Um, and we, we teach our outside backers to get under the train, whether it's a, a pulling guard or a base block coming, go ahead and get your shoulder low enough, get your shoulder set in, in a hard joint setup um, and, and follow through that way so that you can always keep your outside arm free should that ball bounce, then you have the ability to make the play. So, Mike, I'm gonna tell you this: um, get a hold of me, shoot me a message on, on Messenger, or or get a hold of me through Ryan. Um, whatever you gotta do, I'll get you my contact info if you want. I got a plethora of drills, I got a bunch of books and, and video and all that stuff for you. I'd love to share with you, man, because fifth and sixth grade coaches—that's when kids decide: do I like football or or do I not? So, if you can teach kids to to be successful and have fun with the game at that level. Um, you're just creating more high school athletes for us. And we can't, we can't thank you guys enough for what you do.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's very cool. And it's, it's cool. It's, you know, from my perspective too, I got uh, one boy who's uh, going to be seven pretty soon. He's obsessed with football and I'm, I'm real grateful, especially, I mean, obviously it's, it's, you have to have, just like it yourself, but you know, we we've had him signed up at the YMCA in this past year. He was at I-9 sports um, and just, just the, what a great job those guys do of making it fun for them. You know, I mean, that really helps to, to get his passion for these things. So, so the, the guys that do the coaching and that kind of stuff do such a great job. And I'm, I'm very grateful to them for, you know, he wouldn't be having as good of a time if, if those guys weren't doing as, as good of a job as they're doing um, especially yeah. I nine, if you have an I nine near you, you should look into it. Cause those guys, they did an incredible job of, of uh, coaching and just making it fun. And, and that was, that was a lot of fun. I'm kind of sad. We moved, we're contemplating even making the drive to do it again.
0: Yeah, um, uh, those programs, especially you mentioned I-9, um, they do a great job of vetting their coaches. Yeah, And I'm not going to doxy here, Ryan, and, and, and talk oh, about your <laughs> new hometown now. But I will just say this, if you and your son stay in the school district that you're in, yeah. with the coaching staff that you have, your son will have an unbelievable four years of high school football. They okay. are some of the top in the state. Um, they nice. very, very intelligent where you moved. So you're all good, baby.
1: Well, well, maybe we'll have to do a little thing where I have you come out, and maybe you get some of your contacts in uh, in this region, and we'll see if we can uh, get 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 some handshaking going on. Because we, go. we homeschool our kids, I'm not sure how to get them into that that program, but yeah, it's we'll, really we'll, easy we'll figure to figure it out.
0: Um, yep, it's really easy to do. We've had a couple of homeschooled athletes come through our program, so as long as you're within that school district, um, they're considered in that in that district for nice. sports. So you're good. You're good.
1: All right, so really cool question here from Dalton Erickson. Um, and it at my first thought was this might be a little bit out of your, your realm, but with your understanding of, of the scheme offensively and defensively, I think this is kind of cool. So let's pretend you are now the head coach. Here's the question. Let's say Rodgers comes back and does accept a max contract, knowing we won't have the cap to sign everybody below. Which four would you sign? Which four would you let walk if you could only sign four? Again, ex- incredibly difficult question, but kind of just goes to, the value these players bring to this team. So we got Darnell Savage. I don't know if you got a pen.
0: (laughs) Yep, I'm writing it down right now. (laughs) Darnell
1: Savage, Z'Darrius Smith, Rashawn Gary, Devontae Adams, Adrian Amos, Jair Alexander, uh, Jenkins, and Turner.
0: (laughs) So that is a a great question. Um, uh, I'll start with the one that I know for sure and (laughs) – everybody knows, um, if if you've been around the podcast for a while, everybody (laughs) knows my affinity for Billy Turner. Um, I I love that dude. I love what he can do, especially in a step-in role, but there's no way I'm ever taking him over Jenkins. Jenkins gets all the money. He's allowed to have all the money in the world. I will give him my house as long as (laughs) he continues to play football for me. So um, Jenkins is, is, To me, honestly, as an O-line coach, the clear-cut number one. You can put him anywhere on that line, and he is exceptional there. So the clear-cut number one is we're keeping Jenkins. Number two, we're keeping Devontae Adams. He's the best in the league at his position. Um, We're Green Bay. We want to throw the ball. Uh, Rodgers is getting a max Sweet. We're figuring out a way to keep Devontae Adams. From there, this might surprise or kind of even make a few people mad, but I'm keeping Adrian Amos. Yeah. Um, unbelievable safety a dude you can drop down into the box into a star position and he's just so he's physical enough to to be able to play the run from there so he's very versatile um and then this one should come as no surprise but we're definitely keeping jair i mean without a doubt you know nothing against savage or z or gary or these guys but these guys are these i mean we can draft those guys right we can draft head rushers we can uh, draft another safety-ish you know we can draft a star and develop them down the road um, if I'm looking at key components not to say that there's one position more or less important on a defense but to have that rock star safety and that rock star corner now I can divorce them. right I can put the rock star corner on one side and keep him there and, and don't have him float I don't have to have him chase motion and then on the back side I can throw Amos across from him if we're staying in two high sets um, and feel at least decent about the coverage that I'm trotting onto the field. Um, we all know the NFL is a, a throw first league. Uh, so I want my secondary to be very good. I want my protection to be very good. If we are going to go ahead and give Rodgers a max, um, I don't want to be paying him through another broken collarbone. So we're going to keep Jenkins. Um, and then Devontae Adams is just simply the best at what he does. Yes. So if I'm going to give Rodgers a max, I'm going to make sure he has somebody to throw it to.
1: We're getting to the point where I feel guilty asking questions because this has gone on a long time. But No, I just- got nothing going on until 9.30, man. You're gold. All right. So we only got two more questions, but I want to elaborate a little bit because I do love that answer you gave for a couple of reasons. Number one, I did almost an entire episode on how Adrian is one of the most underrated players in football. Um, he just He doesn't get the credit he deserves. I mean, not just how good he is, but how consistent he's been. You look at all the top safeties. They've had down years. They've had this or that. He's been so good for going on like four years now. Um, he's just, he really is incredible. And he, he just deserved, that was one of the things that kind of disappointed me when they were looking at, you know, we're, they were in tough contract situations and money. And I'm like, dude, just give him an extension, just give him the money, you know, don't mess around. And they kind of just, you know, tinkered with his contract a little bit, which I wasn't a huge fan of. I was hoping they would just pay him and he would just stick around. But yeah, I mean, he, he is incredible. I'm glad you said that. Um, the other thing that got me really excited is when you said Elton Jenkins, um, are you still with me? Cause I think you froze. You there?
0: Oh, shoot. Yeah. I, okay. I, all
1: right. All right. Just making sure. Anyways. Um, so Elton Jenkins, um, that got me really excited because from our perspective, it's easy to see the statistics of Devante, right? It's easy to see why he's so good or Aaron Rodgers or all, most of these guys, Darius, even Amos, we can kind of see. Um, but offensive line is so hard for us to really see. I mean, you get some PFF stats, ESPN has their stats, but it's cool from your perspective to watch and to hear your perspective on him. So, Real quick, what, what is it? And you kind of did already, but what is it about Jenkins that really stands out as far as like, you know, compared to other guys, this guy's special.
0: Yeah. He's everything you want, man. Yeah. I mean, we, traditionally sometimes we think of offensive linemen as, as, as big dumb oafs, yeah. you know, just kind of loaf around slowly to where they have <laughs> to go. And uh, I mean, obviously I know that's not the case or whatever, but um you you talk about it, a next level type of thinking, dude, and it's him. It, it's so fluent to him. He's just just any position that you put, any pass protection, any run scheme that you put, you could literally move that dude from center one play to right tackle the next to left guard, and he's still going to execute power against a three four, and then he's going to set slide protection um, against a, a loaded box, and it, 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 he's just so so good in that regard, he doesn't really miss. And then you put on top of that, what he can do. I mean, his, his first step is just wild. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how I can't move that fast and I'm not a big man at all. Yeah. Um, so you, you put that frame on him, um, the strength, the, the ability the, it's, it's a crying shame that he's not one of the superstars of the offensive line in this league right now. And that's yeah. simply because he doesn't play left tackle primarily, right. Right. you know? Um, so Green Bay, trust me when I say Green Bay knows exactly what they have in Elton. Yep. Um, and that dude's never going to walk. That's awesome. So
1: would you also add to that? Just, just out of curiosity, he still has a lot of room to grow. In other words, he's going to
0: get a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, there's still some things that, and again, I'm basing this on, on film study from last year where dude played all all five positions. Right. So, um, I'm basing it on that, but he does still have room to grow. They're going to keep cleaning up his technique at what we call the moment of truth or the point of contact um, in the run block scheme. They're going to make his eyes a little bit more active in pass pro um, and just, just keep him working twist and stunt game, passing it off when he has to pass it off, staying solid on it or what we call thick, staying thick on the defender when he has to stay thick. So um, he does have room to grow. The, The cool thing about Jenkins is we haven't even come close to seeing what he can do. Yeah, uh, And as he continues to work with, with Stenevich and Butkus, man, oh man, is he been... going <laughs> to...
1: So this is probably a really stupid question, but it just dawned on me that it because it never gets asked, I want to ask it. And maybe it's just a super obvious question, but David Bakhtiari is kind of well known as, if not the best, one of the best tackles in football. What is it that makes Bakhtiari so good?
0: His length. I yeah. Mean- yeah, I, that, that's what separates him from, from other tackles is his ability to, I mean, he, he's a huge, massive human that moves well. So his ability to go against the premier edge rushers who make, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. For just hitting the quarterback, just coming off the edge and hitting the quarterback. And, and some of these guys, you got your, your Von Millers or, or back in the day, a little while ago was, was JJ Watt um, mm-hmm. freedom to do this. They will set up the entire defense and give them two gaps and just say, listen, bro, like any way you can get through, get through and go hit the quarterback. Um, that's kind of a, a third down thought process. Um, So for Bakhtiari to be able to react like that with the length and the ground that he can cover so quickly, you'll notice his stance is all, um, it looks goofy, right? Like he's, he's got that left leg way far back and opened up and he's got his toes to the sidelines and all that sort of stuff. He does that so that he can get his insteps or the inside of his foot in the ground, Um, so he's not playing on his toes. That's what allows him to change direction so quickly. He's coming up the field, you know, you get a pass rusher coming up the field, he's hitting his kick steps, then that pass rusher, that elite speedy dude goes across his face and Bakhtiari can mirror him and run him down because he has the ability to push off of his instep. He's not on his toes, he's not got his heels stuck in the turf, Um, so that's why you see that stance and for him to be that long and that quick and reactionary, um, that's what makes him the best in, in my opinion, one of the best.
1: So since we're on offensive line, I just want to cover this. So we know Elton and David are studs and they're going to be around for a while. Outside of that, we kind of have a lot of question marks. Is there anybody, I, we know you like Billy Turner, but is there anybody of all these guys, we got John Runyon, we got Myers who we talked about. Uh, we got Royce Newman, who's
0: new to the group,
1: uh, Stepniak, all these guys. Is there anybody that you're looking at? Like, dude, this guy is somebody to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah, we we talked about Myers already. Um, just so intelligent, and that's kind of long been the run yeah. of Ohio State centers, right? Because Ohio State and, and Ryan Day they run a professional football offense. Sure, I mean, they're they're layered. We've done some um, clinics. My running backs coach played at Ohio State um, in college, sure. so we've got some connections there. We get all sorts of drill tape and we steal a bunch of stuff from them. And the stuff that we steal, like we get, let's say we get a block of cheese, right? And that's what we have stolen from them. That's all their plays. We are cutting off the thinnest of thin slices and we're using that at a high school level. So the, the depth that they have is incredible. Anytime you have a dude who starts for Ohio State at the center position, You've got a really good one, and the exciting thing about that for Green Bay is that's going to allow Elton Jenkins to specialize. If you can start putting him you know, maybe in a left guard spot, let's say, and that's where they decide that they're going to play him primarily, well, now he can start working that right foot drop a little bit more, and now he can become a little more specialized and refined, because right. right now you've got this giant, raw lump of talent right. that is absolutely exceptional. Now let's just whittle that down and make it better and better.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. All right. We're going to move over to, we got two more questions. These kind of came from different directions, but this is from uh, Michael or Mikel Croman. He says, um, is there any difference between the Joe Barry and Mike Petton scheme that can make us hope that uh, for example, more simplified responsibilities for the defensive line edge rushers may increase pressure and in sack production?
0: Uh, yeah, uh, there's, there's a lot of differences scheme wise and, and the tricky thing about NFL defenses is they're so multiple that it's oftentimes difficult to kind of pigeonhole a scheme, right? Like Pettin didn't just run a three, four, Joe Barry's not going to come in and just run a right. three, four mint, you know, cover three spinner. There's a, there's a lot of layers to this. So he's going to do a lot of things, you know, pre-snap alignment wise that, that Mike Pettin did. So it, it might end up looking relatively similar. Um, one thing I know about Barry is he loves his linebackers. He's a linebackers coach, right? So he loves his linebackers and he's not afraid to run the defense through them. Um, Petten tried to run the defense a lot more through the secondary, meaning, you know, make sure they're good first. And then we can play some games up front or whatever that is. Um, Joe Barry wants to put it on the shoulders of the backers. You're going to see some Tampa. You're going to see some robber stuff, uh, from those two inside backers. And that's going to allow him to play a little bit more free. So if I'm a coverage guy, say I'm Adrian Amos, since we talked about him already, um, I'm excited now that the defense isn't running through me anymore. Cause I, when you get to this level, everybody's a gamer, right? Everybody's competitive. They want the spotlight. They want it to go yep. on them. Um, your best chance at getting the spotlight on you is not having the defense run through you. Yeah. Now you can play a little bit more free. You might, you're gonna see a lot more man coverage. Um, you're gonna see a lot more cover one or uh, pattern match cover one, that sort of stuff to where now Amos can be like, all right, I got the slot on this play. I'm gonna lock him down unless he goes out. Then I'm looking to rob the post from number one. and you know, you have the ability to, to free up the coverage a little bit more. And then conversely, the defensive line, you know um, I know that's something that's, that's long frustrated Packer fans is the lack of pressure um, that, that Petten was able to get at times. Um, you're going to be able to free those dudes up a little bit more if you run the defense um, primarily through, through those two inside backers. So expect to see a little bit um, less dime, a little bit more nickel, And you're probably going to end up seeing some of that two, four, five stuff that Aranda was using when he was at Wisconsin, because to be honest with you, I don't know that you have three to four solid defensive linemen that you can go ahead and trot out there all the time. Right. So So, there's differences for sure.
1: So since we're we're kind of on that topic, um, I'm kind of at a loss for what to think with Kenny Clark. I know you're very excited about him and saying he's still doing a fantastic job and all that, but. The, the pressure production hasn't been there and I don't know if that's because there's no help or the scheme or whatever what, what is your assessment of that and, and what do you think maybe going forward we can expect from from Kenny Clark I mean is is, is it done or do you think he's going to bounce back and he's going to be that pressure machine he once was
0: you know, that's a great question um I think it boils down a lot to scheme and what they were asking Kenny to do yeah but think about think back to that divisional game last year Packer's Rams Um, and as we were watching it and we did a a thing on the whiteboard for it and everything, like it it was a lot of fun, but watching the Rams, like, or watching Green Bay against the Rams, you know, exactly where Green Bay was setting their slide protection. You always set it to Aaron Donald, you've got that disruptor. You're going to do everything you can to get a double team on that dude at every point in time, as long as it doesn't break your formation. So it's the same thing with the Packers, right? I mean, you're going to double-team Kenny Clark. You're yeah. always going to – I mean, you might end up wedge, or if he goes out to a four-eye, you'll slide to him, whatever. You're going to do everything you can to get two dudes on it. And now you're asking, you know, Dean Lowry or Tyler Lancaster or something to to beat a, a, a pretty good tackle or a guard one-on-one. So a lot of that was scheme, and then Petton would <laughs> – because Kenny Clark is so good, it's the ultimate compliment um, for a defensive lineman to ask him to two-gap, to ask yeah. him to – take on pressure in the run game, um, fight through a double team, that sort of stuff. So obviously numbers are going to go down, you know, pressure is, sure. is going to go down if you're being double teamed all the time. So you got to get a crazy dude off the edge somehow. I don't right. know if that's Gary, if that's Z, whoever it is. Um, you, you got to figure out a way if, if you're going to slide to, uh, Kenny Clark all the time, you gotta, hurt you. you gotta, you gotta figure out a way to make them pay for that. Right. It's, exactly. It's thought process of, you know, you want that one really, really good receiver so that when everybody starts doubling or bracketing that receiver, now you need that one really good running back to make them pay. Exact same thing on the defense. If you're going to slide to Kenny Clark, well, you better have a really good answer for this dude coming off the edge.
1: Yeah. So um, obviously, yeah, getting that is going to help. Do you think there's anything to, it seems like the Packers are kind of moving a little bit more toward the big nose tackles. They never really went that way. Kenny was as big as you could find on that defensive line, but Late last year, we got Snacks Harrison. This year, we got uh, TJ Slayton. Do you think maybe they're they're trying to get away from letting Kenny be the two-gapper, which to me seems a little... I mean, granted, if you can do it and you're dominant, fine, do it, but I want him after the quarterback because he's good at it. Do you think maybe we see a little bit more, let's let the big boys do the big boy stuff and let's see if we can let Kenny loose a little bit?
0: I have a sneaking suspicion, and that's such an awesome question. I have a sneaking suspicion that Barry wants to make... Kenny Clark move. Yeah. Um, so, and, and that might be, I think we, we got a hint of it when you guys grabbed snacks last year, cause you saw a little bit twist stunt game, you know? Sure. Um, but if you get that big, you get slate, you mentioned Slayton, you get that giant dude crushed down on a center who is traditionally your smallest alignment mm-hmm. crushed down on a center and push him into a guard as you've got your looper coming. And, and my guess is it's going to be Kenny Clark. Um, that that is that's golden so yeah I, in the run game I don't know maybe yeah. maybe not yeah. my guess is if you got a two gapper that's so nice because it's like having an extra defender on the field so my guess is he's still going to two gap in the run game um, but when you get into to passing scenarios or start bringing some um, pass pressure my guess is you're going to see Kenny Clark moving a lot more you're going to have twists you're going to have stunts you're going to have late stems all that sort of stuff. Um, Maybe even long sticks because the guy has the ability to move two gaps and still get to the quarterback in three seconds or less. So my guess is, and again, it's just a wild theory, but my guess is Joe Barry is going to move that dude around in passing scenarios a lot more.
1: All right. Final question. This comes from Mr. Roger Davis. We talked about Love a little bit, but this is a little bit of a different question. He says, I'm curious what coach thinks about Jordan Love as a runner in Matt LaFleur's RPO offense and does he like this added dimension that might add to the
0: offense yeah now we're talking baby now we're talking 11 athletes on the field but you're not playing 10 on 11 anymore um RPO stuff is is fun but my guess is what you're talking about is more of like a zone read type of setup yeah. where you get the ball in his hands and let him carry it around the edge um the one of the things you have to figure it on is just how valuable is that guy to you? How comfortable, let's just say, theoretically, Rogers doesn't come back. Right. And Jordan loves your number one. Um, how comfortable are you in Blake Bortles? If, if you're comfortable <laughs> in your number two quarterback to at least, you know, win a couple games and limp you into the playoffs or whatever that is, then yeah, dude, put that ball in Jordan loves hands and, and let him go beating outside backer or defensive end to the edge. If you don't love what you're seeing from Blake Bortles, well, then you got to protect your number one guy a little bit more. Now we know, you know, should Rogers not come back, we know that Jordan love isn't going to get hundred million dollar money. Um, but that's still, a, it's a significant paycheck that you're putting into the hands of the leader of your offense to, to when he's carrying that football. So I think it kind of boils down to his decision-making. Yeah. Um, you hate seeing quarterbacks kind of drop the head as much fun as it is to watch as a fan, you know, um, you want a lot more of the Philip rivers approach of, all right, I'm just going to get my four yards and scamper out of bounds right. as opposed to, you know, your Lamar Jackson where he's going to try to pummel through an outside backer. Um, so he's got ability, man. Don't get me wrong. The dude can scoot. Um, especially if you put him in a, in a, an advantage situation with formation or play call. Um, it's just that becomes more of a head coach slash GM decision of just how much do we want this guy to take punishment? Um, so he can scoot. He's got ability. Uh, that's a, the tricky thing with some of the zone read and you kind of see it coming back, right? Like Robert Griffin came in and it was all zone read and then defense has figured out exactly how to stop it yeah. very easily. Uh, you have <laughs> exchange. Um, and then all of a sudden that went away. Well, now guys have gotten to that next level. And what Baltimore is doing uh, with Lamar is just insane um yeah. and, and it's so cool so you start to see some of that coming back so dude's got ability i think i don't think that's ever going to be the question i just think the question is how much risk are you willing to take baltimore's all in they're like dude if lamar gets hurt like we're going to suck anyways so we might as well just go have fun with him um and they've they've gone all in um there's a lot of other programs like um you know the, the chiefs or even the cardinals a little bit where they're like yeah you know maybe we'll we'll have him go out of bounds more, but yeah, they, uh, he's got all the ability in the world and he can do it. Um, it's just how much risk do you want to take in that front office perspective?
1: Well, coach, I think we covered a lot of ground here today. I really appreciate your time. That was, uh, that, that was a lot of information, man. That was gold. I really appreciate that.
0: Dude, what a great way to start a Saturday off and kind of <laughs> kick into the weekend, just talking ball with people who love talking ball. Like this is, this is perfect, man. Thanks for the chance.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, until you get the good sense to realize you need to start your own podcast, I really hope to get you back more regularly because uh, I think, uh, I think you provide a dimension that I just don't have. And I think it's important, especially during the season. So if you're up for it, I'd like to maybe do a little bit more regular little, little chats like this
0: man, whenever you want. I just, I I can sit and talk ball all day long. It just, it it amps me up. So you let me know we're starting football here. Uh, Next week is dead week. um, So we don't have any activities, but after that things get a little bit hectic. We go from, you know, 12, 14 hour days to about 16, 18 um, for a little bit. And then after that, it it, it tends to calm down. So you let me know, baby. I love doing it. Awesome. Well, you take care and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great, man. Thank you.